Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, um, we've been taking a, a short interlude from our normal practice of preaching from the lectionary to move into and then through Lent, talking about the seven deadly sins. And on Sundays like today, uh, when we hear these scriptures about the transfiguration, that sounds like an awful idea that we've done, but here we are. <laughs> Whenever we think about deadly sins or these capital vices that give birth to all kinds of ruin, we probably don't think of sloth as making the cut. I mean, murder isn't on the list, but sloth, that is. And when we think of sloth, we probably think of, you know, Tuesday, 3 o'clock, we're still in our PJs, and we're glued to the couch, and we're popping those uh, peanut butter-infused pretzels from Trader Joe's. Um, in between, you know, we have the tub of Breyer's mint chocolate chip, and uh, we're binging Netflix, right? <clears throat> Or maybe, uh, maybe when you think of sloth, you think of this. <laughs> or, or the next one. <laughs> right? You can move that fast. <laughs> <laughs> However, if we return again to Evagrius, um, the one who in the fourth century first began to give us these, um, what he called at the, at the time, eight evil thoughts. Sloth's danger is something far more destructive than just being someone who's too relaxed. Sloth describes the various ways that we shrink from the fullness of life that God has called us to. The ways that we shrink from our vocation. We shrink from our relationships. We shrink from the God who loves us and from this very particular, though often demanding, stretching, perplexing, marvelous life that God has called us toward. So lethargic laziness, whenever sloths presents this way, is really only a symptom of the shrinking that's happening deeper in our soul. Laziness, we'll discover, is not at all the only way that we shrink from our life. In fact, it seems to me that much like Evagrius um, found in the desert in the fourth century, in, the, in our own century, it looks really different. Constant movement, advancement, being a hustler, making things happen, this is another form of sloth. And this is why sloth can be such a sinister and deceptive vice, because it looks very different like the way we might often imagine it. So sloth is a name for the many ways that we withdraw from God and the life that God has called us to. It's the ways we numb our good desires. It's the ways that we attempt to manage our anxieties, our compulsiveness, our selfishness. It's the ways that we participate in the narrowing and collapsing of our life. It's a withdrawal from God a withdrawal from what is true. And this kind of life does collapse us. It hems us in. 
The path of the slothful is a hedge of thorns, Proverbs says. A hedge of thorns. You can't move around. But the path of the upright, or the path of those who have been emboldened by the love of God and obedience to God, the path of the upright is an open highway. So maybe this would be the best place to complicate all of this. The original word for this sin or vice actually wasn't sloth at all. It was acedia. And over time, acedia was combined with the idea of slothfulness. And now, at least in the English language, we've mostly lost the word acedia. But in that conflating between acedia and a kind of slothfulness that just means being lazy, something vital has vanished. Evagrius actually believed that acedia was perhaps the worst of all eight of the evil thoughts that would assault, uh, assault the desert monks. Because it described that leech that drained the monks' energy from their life of devotion to God and distracted them from the simplicity of attentiveness to God and God's presence in and around them. This is why Rebecca de Young would say, sloth has more to do with being lazy about love than being lazy about work. So, yes, it does all come back again to love. Love of God, love of neighbor, proper love of ourselves. It's almost like Jesus may have called this the greatest commandments or something. So here in Romans chapter 12, how Paul describes the movement, the action, the zeal, the fervor of love in action. Love must be sincere, Paul says. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly and sisterly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is love in action. It is zeal. If there's one thing that we modern, uh, very attuned, uh, abandoning the old ways that are small and foolish, um, there's one thing that you probably, although, would hardly ever call us, and that's zealous. Zealous sometimes is something we're embarrassed about. But Paul calls love and action to have a zeal to it. Fueled by the love of God, we step into our life with hope and energy and conviction and action. But whenever we are under the oppression of acedia, we withdraw from our life. Under acedia's sway, love goes dormant. Our life collapses into itself. Acedia describes our attempt to escape the burdens 
and complexities that always accompany the long life toward love. Aquinas describes sloth as our aversion to the divine good in us. In other words, sloth or acedia acts as the ways that we run from the truest thing about ourselves, that we bear God's image and God's breath, that if we've said yes to God, God's very life through the Holy Spirit defines our truest essence. But why would we ever do that? Why would we abandon that? Why would we allow that energy to drain from us? Probably lots of reasons, but maybe we're diverse averse to this divine good because we've grown hopeless. Maybe it seems too difficult. Perhaps the responsibilities seem too large, too overwhelming. Perhaps we're lured away by other shiny seductions. Uh, year five or six of our marriage were probably our hardest years to date. And there was a lot of things that got revealed um, mainly about me, <laughs> um, how selfish I was. And there were, there were days where I knew in my head what love was to look like, but I didn't feel that I had the energy for it. And if I go back on it, there's probably lots of reasons. Um, one is there probably were moments where I did feel hopeless. It seemed like the marriage that we had was a place we could never get back to again. And I remember thinking, I, I just don't, this is too hard. It feels too hopeless. There were moments where what choosing to love instead of being selfish would require of me felt too much. There were other moments where it felt like, well, we've sort of been around this merry-go-round before. Uh, what's to say it's going to be any different now? And I think in those moments, I was probably struggling with lots of different things, but I think some of what I'm, I was struggling with, I didn't even have a name for it then, and some of it was acedia. That my hope and vigor, my, my willingness to cooperate with the action of God through the love of God toward Miska um, was being drained out of me. There's lots of different ways that acedia presents itself ways that we demonstrate our aversion to the divine good in us, as Aquinas would say. Ways that we withdraw from our, our ordinary life. There's three of them, and I just I wanted to mention these. The first one is, when we hear the word sloth, is the one that we think of the most, the easiest, and it's laziness. It's an inability to summon or act upon any meaningful desires. This is fundamentally a way of withdrawing from our life. It's a way of disengaging. Most of us who are lazy aren't lazy just because we're lazy. It's because other things seem too hard. Life seems too overwhelming or too much or too disappointing or too boring. It's far easier to simply ignore it all and distract ourselves with bonbons and Game of Thrones. Laziness. I actually think the other two, though, are, are far more potent and common. The second one is a, a disengaged lethargy. It's those moments or those seasons of our life where we are caught in the grip of a listless sadness. Acedia literally means 
a lack or an absence of care. You just can't will yourself to care. And again, here, we simply, in these moments, can't seem to find the way to return back to what is truest about us, which is God. Now, this is really important here, and I want to make be very careful in how I talk about this. This isn't not the same as depression. <laughs> um, you know, a number of us have, will, are struggling with depression. Um, what we need there is therapy, sunshine, meds, nutrition, lots of things. Acedia, acedia is something different. And acedia, though, and depression can feed off of one another. One can give life or energy to the other. When I was in seminary, there was about a year where I struggled with um, clinical depression, and it was one of the two most devastating times in my life. Um, it looks very differently for di different people, but there was no willing myself out of that. I needed help. However, uh, early in my 40s, I remember hitting uh, something that felt a little bit like depression, but I think it was more acedia because my question was more like, is this all life is? Like, <laughs> I thought I was going to do something with my life. You know, I, I, don't know, I don't think I've done much. There were some similar ways that it felt, but it was a very different thing. And there is absolutely no shame in struggling with depression and mental illness. And if you need help, get help. With acedia, though, we no longer see the joy in God. We no longer see God or goodness in our life. We don't see joy in those we love or in this marvelous world. Kathleen Norris says the person with acedia, even if she knows what is spiritually good for her, is tempted to deny that her inner beauty and spiritual strength are at her disposal as gifts from God. With acedia, there is an endless cascade of negative, defeating thoughts that we simply surrender to, to drain our life from us, that robs us of hope. And we begin to agree with the idea that this is our essential reality. A hopelessness that colors our world gray makes every good possibility seem an impossibility or a drudgery. I love uh, Kathleen Norris for lots of reasons. I love this, this line, though. She said, when life becomes too challenging and engagement with others too demanding, acedia offers a kind of spiritual morphine. You know the pain is there, yet you can't rouse yourself to give a damn. You know it's there, but this morphine is dulling all of your desires. The third way that acedia shows up, though, may even be more prevalent. It's distraction and busyness. This is the one that would seem to be the exact opposite of sloth. Sloth is the person who can't seem to move, and this person moves all the time. But it's another way of avoiding and withdrawing from our life. Not with laziness, but with excessive activity. Evagrius describes acedia as the noonday demon that, that besieges us when it comes, when it's the middle of the day, nothing seems to really be happening, it's really hot, and we don't think we're ever going to make it till nightfall. 
Much of the good life, the true life, is a long walk toward love. It is tedious. It is repetitive. We have to practice the art of presence and attentiveness that can only be honed with much time and practice. Evagrius talks of acedia as a hatred of one's life, a hatred of one's work. And what I found most uh, poignant, actually, was the multiple times he talks about a hatred of place. You hate the place that you're in. It could be the physical place. You literally hate the ground around you, the world that you're in. It doesn't seem exciting enough. You hate the vocation that you're in. It doesn't seem exhilarating enough. With Acedia, we grow bored with the people who are God's gift to us. We're bored with the tasks before us. We're bored with the responsibilities that God has given to us. We want something else. There is this story of an Abba, a desert monk, who wanted to train his uh, young disciple in, in the way of following Jesus in the long, repetitive life. And so he pulled out a piece of wood and told his young disciple, water this until it grows fruit. That's funny. <laughs> At least to me it was. Do you ever feel that's what your life is like? It's like a piece of wood, and you're just watering it, hoping for something to grow. This distraction, though, is really, really subtle and sinister because it seems so noble. It can seem so righteous to want to make something happen, to go make something work, to constantly be looking for the new thing, the next thing that's going to change the world. Thomas Merton said, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. I think this is a good word for us. Maybe I should just say this is a good word for me and leave it at that. So I'm going to say it again. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, is to succumb to violence. So we can see how this actually is not a, an easy thing to exactly diagnose. It actually requires the Holy Spirit. It requires the community around us. It requires this work of discernment in our life because these things can look radically different. We can withdraw from our life by sort of surrendering all of our action and activity and be uh, just sort of dead in the water. Or we can surrender and withdraw from our life by doing something that looks like the exact opposite. We can give ourselves to so many things because we're actually withdrawing from the deeper work that God wants to do in our life. And that seems incredibly, incredibly difficult. And so we can make that noise go away by doing more and more and more. And this final version of Acedia can lead us back to, de to despair. If we ever hit that moment 
where we discover that we can't escape? When the diversions and the novelties and the new projects or the achievements or the pleasures don't do the trick, that crippling sadness can come in again. And then rather than throwing up our hands and surrendering to love and saying, all right, God, what do you have for me here? We turn inward and withdraw and we give away to despair. But it's really important to say with, with this and with all of these, there, there actually is a lightheartedness here. Part of recognizing all these things is recognizing this is what humans struggle with. So if you're sitting here this week or any week and we recognize, oh, I, I think that's me. It's not like, oh, that's me. It's like, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> when we recognize our predicament, we don't lash ourselves with sh shame. Whether we say, oh, there's some light. <laughs> I love, if you feel heavy at all with any of this, I love Aquinas' remedy for acedia. A tall glass of wine, a steaming bath, and a full night's sleep. Because remember, sloth isn't typically that we just don't know how to work. Sloth is there's something else that we're not wanting to pay attention to. So the answer usually isn't just more work. It's actually inner quiet and starting to pay attention. So the practice that we're going to offer or encourage for acedia, if you need to learn how to turn the tide against acedia is actually Sabbath. It's learning how to have genuine rest in God rather than escape from our life. Maybe it looks like finding a way to set aside some block of time for those things that nurture a heart of gratitude or joy. Maybe you need to literally take Aquinas' advice. Maybe you need a tall glass of wine, a steaming bath, and a full night's sleep. Maybe you need to walk in the woods. Maybe you need a prayerful soaking in scripture. Maybe you need to do like we've been able to do the last week and stare at those beautiful daffodils in our front yard because they're not supposed to be here yet. <laughs> Maybe you need a, a long, leisurely conversation with a friend. Maybe you, you do need some work. Maybe there's a project that's been really calling something out of you and you know that it's important but you haven't made the space because of what it might require. And maybe you need to do that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.